I'm going to be picking up this morning um, on our Paradox series. I'm going to recap just briefly uh, what we've been looking at for the last couple of weeks. Um, Week one, uh, Kevin talked about faith and how it is a both and an and. Um, The following last two weeks, Russ has talked about faith and doubt, and he's talked about work and rest. And in each of these, it's the notion that we're embracing paradox. As followers of Jesus, we embrace the fact that things don't appear to go together, and yet we walk both. Um, The notion of a paradox is something that is seemingly, in appearance, self-contradictory, but when investigated, proves true. So this morning, I'm going to uh, invite us to examine another paradox of our walk, and that is the paradox that we are created for both community and solitude, sometimes simultaneously. I believe that as followers of Jesus, we're called to press into both, to practice both, and to grow in both community and solitude. Okay, so we're going to start here with a quick poll. Um, The introverts have to go first because they don't like to. So show of hands, it can be a half hand, if you know that you identify as an introverted personality. You relate to the world in an introverted kind of a way. The balcony just like shot their hands up. <laughs> yes, right? So you know that this is, this is how you relate to the world. This is how you gain energy is by being alone, being able to withdraw. Okay, extroverts, can I hear from you? How many extroverts, how many of you know, yes, you relate to the world in an extroverted way? You gain energy from being around people. Yes, some people are identifying other people in the room, right? (laughs) Those would be the introverts identifying the extroverts. Okay, what about the ambiverts? Can I get a shout out from the ambiverts? Yes, you know who you are, right? Ambiverts are those who, in the most unlikely ways, tend to walk the line between introvert and extrovert. Uh, An ambivert is somebody who um, enjoys others but needs their alone time and can recognize that. And some people give them energy and some people do not. Uh, (laughs) They can be very outgoing in the right context. Um, they're really good working on a team, but after they've had an opportunity to work independently, kind of get their feet under them a little bit. Uh, They can be internal or external processors, and here's the fun one, speaking from experience, they can be both at the same time. So I can be talking to my husband about something, and I'm like, and I'm processing, and I'm processing, and then I go, oh, wait a second, yeah, you know what? I'm feeling something entirely different from what I'm telling you. I might need to contradict myself real quick. He's like, oh, this is fun. Um, So the ambivert is the one that kind of sits on the line between the two. Uh, Isn't it interesting, though, that 
we in our society have developed a way of actually talking about how we engage the world, how we identify uh, where we draw our energy from, um, what kind of stuff drains us, and how we experience or tend to experience relationship. Um, some of the passages that I'm talking about this morning, and certainly the early church, lived in an environment that was quite different from ours in that most of their experience was an experience of community. Uh, we live in a culture that has highly individuated our experience. We live in a culture that has identified clearly, you are an individual, this is how you see the world, and it's your responsibility to communicate to those around you what your experience is, and when that experience has been bad, to maybe work some of that through with somebody, to be able to communicate to others. These are the kind of environments that I don't thrive in. Uh, it's on you, right? First century church, a little bit less so, right? So much of their environment was dictated by religion, by culture, uh, by language, uh, and certainly by occupation. So meaning not just what you did to make ends meet, but the fact that the early church and the Jewish community specifically had been occupied by Rome, right? And so there was an empire that was imposing culture, and the notion of what you were as a collective was that you were Jewish, right? And so then Jesus comes along into this environment where what you practiced as far as religion was defined by being Jewish, the fact that you were part of a culture that had been conquered by another culture was defined by the fact that you were Jewish. So much of that early experience and what we see Scripture speaking into when it comes to community and solitude is really based around a very different lived experience. And I just want to identify that a little bit because I think sometimes we can take these verses and we can think, well, how do I apply this to my introvert self, to my extrovert self, or to my ambivert self, right? How can I apply the practice of solitude to the fact that I'm really, I'm really an introvert? Or how can I apply the practice of community to the fact that I'm an ambivert? Some communities I really love and some I really don't, right? So how, how we approach what we're reading about when it comes to community and solitude is often defined by this notion that we have that I am the one who ultimately is in control of how I engage my reality. Not so for the early Jewish community that Jesus was born into, and the early church. So let's take a look at this a little bit. Our practice of community um, and how we engage with those around us um, is one that can be defined in a number of different ways, but is often defined uh, generationally, right? Um, there is work that has been done around how the generations engage uh, with one another and how they engage the world. I'm going to take a sip of my tea so that this does not continue to be a distraction. Upstaged by a tiger mug. Um, 
the notion that your, your upbringing was a part of what defined uh, what community expected of you. Um, the baby boomers generation and the millennial generation are hands down the largest generations just by virtue of the amount of people that exist within that generation. Also, interestingly, the millennial generation is considerably more tribal than the Gen Xers. So Gen X, which would be me, uh, are 1965 to about 1980. 81 tends to be the cutoff for millennials, which means my siblings have a slightly different experience than I do when it comes to things like high school, um, college. And with that, the values that were expressed Gen Xers were definitely the kids who were taught to be really independent, um, really good at thinking cynically and critically about things. And if somebody else, even your best friend, really loved something, you were not into it anymore, right? That was a defining, especially in high school. Um, millennials, different, very tribal generation a generation that identifies through storytelling. Um, it has been studied that the millennials have um, the equivalent of shamans within their culture. Um, influencers might be another way to put it, right? Um, that there is authority given to the voice of the storyteller who can define things in a certain way. And part of what gets defined is community, the idea of what bonds us together. So for one generation, community may look a certain way. And for another generation, there may be a completely different expectation. What does that look like in a place like this? Because we've got everybody sitting here right now, right? We've got all these different generations, and they're engaging one another. We have different values that are represented. We have introverts. We have extroverts. We've got ambiverts and whatever lies in between that hasn't yet been discovered. We're all here, and this community is the community that is spoken about in Scripture. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 and 13. Just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one Spirit, so as to form one body, whether we are Jews or Gentiles, enslaved or free, and we were all given the one spirit. So here we are, and this is a different notion of community. This was such a different notion of community that it actually blew away the early culture that the church emerged in. And what I mean by that is, even under persecution, the early church, in its notion of how it did community, was growing exponentially, regardless of the, of the persecution that it experienced, because of that idea of all being one in Christ. But how do we actually do that practically? How does that look? Part of it has to do with the fact that we have to let go of our idea of self-identity being preserved. We put so much energy into the self-identification and making sure that this is an environment that's going to work for me, 
that very often we, at a cost to the community, negotiate things in a way that work for us instead of stretching into the community that needs us. According to Galatians and a number of other passages um, in Corinthians, we are all very much needed. We all have a part to play, and when we are not participating in community, something is missing. Something doesn't show up. Now, does the Spirit of God move among us and compensate? Sure. In the way that is needed? Maybe. But if you're not here, the beautiful signature of Christ in you and how that affects the community, that gets missed. It gets missed. There's no replacing you. So part of it is that we just show up whether we are comfortable or not, whether we're feeling it or not. We show up whether we know what we have to offer or not because we're needed, but also because we need. We need community. We need one another. And that's hard when we're doing that on faith, when we're walking into a room and these are not all of our closest friends. And we might sit with our small group, or we might not. We might have to talk with somebody we don't know. And it takes that moment of breaching the difference between you and me. That might be generational. It might be a relational thing. You might be talking to somebody who's an introvert. And you might have to give them the room. You might want to get more out of them, and they may need you to back off. But what's beautiful is it's the showing up and the effort. It's not whether or not we get the conversation totally right. It's just the fact that we showed up and we got vulnerable. And in that vulnerability, like that text that I got this morning, nobody said the right thing. This friend is going through a divorce and she had to tell her kids this morning. There is no right way to talk with her or encourage her. She's not going to feel better this morning. That's not going to happen. So then what do we do? Do we just, you know, a pat answer, something that's trite? Maybe. What we do is we just show up. We say, hey, I'm here. If there's anything that you need, if somebody needs to hang out with the kids, if you need a meal, uh, let me know. It's going to be awkward. But that's how we do community because we trust that something in us, the Holy Spirit, will reach through to the person that we're speaking to. It doesn't have to be about whether or not we even say the right thing. Uh, there is a book, Why on Earth Did Any, Anyone Become a Christian in the First Three Centuries? Super catchy title. Um, <laughs> It's by Larry Hurtado, who was, um, he was an academic and uh, was at uh, Edinburgh Theological Seminary. Um, and there is something that he said about what the early church was and why it was so different. 
um, that I thought was really insightful. Hurtado points out that the basis for this unusual social project called church was the unique religious identity of Christians. Before Christianity, there was no distinct religious identity since your religion was simply an aspect of your ethnic or national identity. If you were from this city or from this tribe or from this nation, you worshipped the gods of that city, tribe, or people. Your religion was basically assigned to you. Christianity brought into human thought for the first time the concept that you chose your religion regardless of your perceived race or class. Christianity also radically asserted that your faith in Christ became your new deepest identity while at the same time not affecting or wiping out your ethnicity, your class, or your gender. Instead, your relationship to Christ dominated them sorry, demoted them to second place. This meant to the shock of Roman society that all Christians, whether they were enslaved or free or high-born, whatever their nationality or ethnicity, were now equal in Christ. This was a radical challenge to the entrenched social structure and divisions of Roman and empire society. As kingdom people, we carry this forward. As kingdom people, we identify that we carry that same signature. And it looks a little bit different now, but we carry that same signature that we are now one in Christ. So, how do we balance that with solitude? In Mark 6.31, there's a great verse <clears throat> that Jesus makes clear um, regarding solitude. And he, Jesus, said to them, to his disciples, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest for a while. Super practical. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. Love that, right? They had no leisure even to eat. Now, some of you can identify that you are in a season of your life right now where you have no leisure to eat, right? You discover this when you're at your desk and the tuna salad falls out of the sandwich onto the paper and you're like, great, great, okay, this is good, this is good, right? It's when you thought you were going to have two kiddos from the neighborhood for dinner and you have six kiddos from the neighborhood for dinner and you're serving spaghetti, and that's going to go well, right? It's when you were going to go out and meet some friends for dinner, and the plans change, and then the plans change again, and then suddenly you're backed up against the fact that everybody else has the rest of their night free, and you've got an appointment and somewhere you need to be, and you're like, okay, guys, check you later. I got to go, right? We all experience different versions of needing to pause and come away. And the thing is that so often I think we get caught up in the idea that we have to find the space to actually come away. I've got to find the space to stop what I'm doing. I'll be honest, um, as somebody whose husband has been in Miami for the week, 
at a conference. So miserable for him being in Miami. I keep getting these texts about how warm it is and how, and I, <laughs> my children don't love to sleep when their dad's not here. And so I'm sitting there going, okay, yes, I'm so glad that your hotel room is beautifully conditioned and that you got a good night's sleep. Um, but do I find a lot of solitude when my husband is traveling? No, not really. I get a lot of help from my folks, but I don't find a lot of solitude. Am I getting it wrong? Am I not finding the balance? Nope. Am I in a season of my life right now where uh, finding that balance is not really an option because, quite frankly, I don't have the energy for it? Yes, that is true. I'm just not in that season, right? So um, I'm going to speak from a place of honesty. I'm not going to encourage you to spend a lot of time trying to carve out more solitude right now. If you can, do it. And if you can't, don't worry about it. Where can you find quiet in your day? So I did the school run this week. That's an 8 a.m. run. I kind of like my mornings. So on the way back from school, that's 20 minutes. And in my car with my Bluetooth, nobody knows that when I'm talking out loud, I'm not talking to somebody on the phone. So I start talking to God. I do, in my car, out loud, because then I can hear what I'm saying. Very often that's when I hear how mad I am about something or how upset I am about how things are going. I hear my own voice, and I hear the honesty in that, and then I'm quiet, and I can hear the Spirit in the car for 20 minutes. Right now, that's my solitude. That's good because these are precious moments that I have with my kiddos, and I'm not going to resent that moment that I have with them because I'm not getting enough solitary time. But man, oh man, there has to be some balance, right? There has to be some balance. And so I am going to encourage you, if you can't carve out a lot of solitary time, get an extra five, 10 minutes in the shower and take some music in there with you, right? Turn off the radio in the car talk to God. Sometimes when I'm falling asleep at night, um, my brain will dump and I will start to get really ramped up and my anxiety can kick in right then. It's really fun. And <clears throat> I've discovered um, that if I pray the breathing prayer, that is the Jesus breathing prayer, Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on me. That the Spirit shows up and those thoughts calm down and there's just enough solitary in that moment for me to find that balance that really only comes from the Spirit of God. I am not going to find it any more than I'm actually going to be able to identify when I'm fully being an introvert or fully being an extrovert. I just don't know myself that well. And I don't know what I need except to press into the practices that I'm told here were a part of forming a movement that we now call church that radically disrupted empire. I'm on board with that. I'm on board with that. 
And so if I can press into those practices, participate in those practices, even if it's just on faith, and if in doing that, I then get to be a part of participating in community that, yes, does not look like anything that I would necessarily pull together for my benefit, this is what I need. This gets me outside of me. One of the things that I would like to wrap up with and encourage us with is very often when we talk about our communities, um, we often talk about our families. And I have a family, and I've talked about my young kids. But when I was 35 years old, and I was a single woman, and I didn't know if I would ever have kids, there was a practice and an intentionality around community that my church had a really hard time recognizing. So I want to say something to those of you who are not married, to those of you who don't have kids. Will you help us? Because I know that there is an intentionality around how you do community and solitude that we have to learn from you. That there is a desire to both engage in family and community and a deep joy that comes from where you are in this moment. And I would like to acknowledge that and I would like to say, hey, we as a church community have something to learn from you and it's important. So will you use your voice to speak to us when we so often talk in terms of family? You are family. And living out your singleness intentionally and living into the gifts that God has given you is something that we, for those of us who are married, for those of us who are in long-term relationships, for those of us who have kids, we have something to learn from you about that intentionality. Will you remind us, please? We do both. We balance solitude and community because we're called to both. And it is beautiful and awkward and good because as we walk it out, this, which looks like this, changes, speaks truth to empire, changes the world around us, balances the inequities. It is not a solitary endeavor, but it does come out of solitary moments with Jesus. And we do this as a collective. We see ourselves as a collective. And so I hope this morning that you come away encouraged that you are a part of this community. You are absolutely essential. You're essential. Just by being here. 
And so thank you. Thank you for being here this morning. I'm going to close us with a word of prayer. Holy Spirit, I just ask that you would confirm to our hearts this morning that you are the one who draws us into community and into solitude. That these rhythms are rhythms that very often when it comes to our space and our time, we actually cannot control. But it does not mean that within us that you cannot still draw us into the goodness of community, the vulnerability, the awkwardness, the reaching out, the getting to know a new person, and the solitude of coming away from all of the noise, even when it's internal noise, and allowing you to speak new life to our hearts, to our beings, to restore our souls. Help us to embrace the paradox that is community and solitude, that we would recognize the goodness of this upside-down kingdom that you've called us to and that both are possible in you, Jesus. We pray. Amen.